Welcome to the Energy News AU podcast. I'm your host, Paul Hunt. Today, we're speaking to Engineers Australia, which is, if you like, the home for engineering professionals in the oil and gas and broader energy space. Their chartered credential is one of the most highly valued in the global industry. If you're a chartered engineer with Engineers Australia, it means you know what you're doing, and industry understand that. They're the trusted voice, if you will, for professional engineering. In this podcast, we'll take a look at the organisation itself and consider the importance of chartered status, as well as the current engineering environment we find ourselves in today. I'm joined by Engineers Australia Chief Engineer, Jane McMaster, and also by one of the trailblazers in the industry. She was named ACT Young Engineer of the Year in 2020, Alexandra Radulovic. Perhaps, Jane, we can start with you and maybe give us a bit of an intro into Engineers Australia and how the organisation came to be. Well, Engineers Australia celebrated its 100th birthday last year. So we came to be in 1919. Later on, um, we became incorporated by Royal Charter. So we have a long and interesting history. But what do we do? Well, we are the peak professional body for the engineering profession within Australia. So we have over 100,000 members across the country, across all disciplines and sectors of engineering. We speak on behalf of the profession to media, to government, to business, to industry. We uphold professional standards, both entry to practice and credentials uh, later on in an engineering career. We support engineering careers right through from engineering students through to our honorary fellows. And we provide opportunities for people to network and develop their career as they progress from student uh, throughout their career. Uh, We partner with business for various events. Uh, We facilitate networking and knowledge sharing, and we promote continuing professional development through a whole range of Um, initiatives such as our CPD program, events, our Create Journal, other journals, our library conferences and our uh, engineering education arm. So that's just a quick summary of of the the breadth of things that we do as a professional organisation. So it's quite a broad scope that you're covering then, Jane. We're in a new year now. It's 2021. What were the challenges engineers within the energy and resources industry that I guess they faced over the last 12 months and where do you see some of these issues clearing up over this year? Well, I think, you know, energy and resources is such a broad area. So maybe I'll touch on some of the challenges many engineers in those areas would have faced, as would engineers in many other sectors over the previous 12 months. It would be difficult not to mention the challenges that the pandemic uh, presented and, and the need to work from home almost instantaneously. Many people within the energy and resources sector would have had on-site responsibilities. So there was a need to transition to lower workforce numbers and new processes to adhere to social distancing policies. But I think there were many stories of innovation too and unexpected positive consequences as a result of having to adapt so quickly. The first was we surprised ourselves in many instances about how quickly we could adapt. But there were other positive aspects as well, such as increased productivity through to enhanced collaboration through video conferencing, which allowed more communication opportunities to more people distributed around the country. I've heard of really amazing stories of new overseas factories being commissioned remotely from Australia, as well as QA processes of 
products being made a long way away and being conducted remotely um, through digital and virtual conferencing um, means. We actually held over the course of 2020 um, a series of eight CEO roundtables, which involved over 60 CEOs from engineering organisations. And universally, um, those CEOs reported positive flow and effects from the pandemic, even though they had to work very hard to put the initial work from home and other arrangements in place, especially at the beginning. Of course, it wasn't all positive. There were many challenges. And I'm hoping that this year we will have learnt from uh, our experiences in 2020, including putting in more flexible working arrangements, but also learning how quickly we can innovate when we were able to focus, when we had a shared understanding of what we needed to achieve and we were less distracted by other things. Hmm. So I think of all the challenges that the energy and resources sector faced and other sectors within the engineering profession, hopefully there's a lot of good to come out of it. So over 2020, what role did Engineers Australia play? That's a great question. We did a range of things. So we put forward a response plan for the for the pandemic in general. We were quite active, especially in Victoria, when their stage four restrictions came into place, uh, liaising with the Victorian government about what the restrictions involved and how they related to the engineering profession specifically, or in particular in relation to the, to the building uh, industry, which engineers were included in professional services that were allowed on site. So it was a lot of interaction with the Victorian government. The other thing that we did is we put our continuing professional development online very quickly. Uh, mm. So what was uh, historically and traditionally quite a localised program of uh, continuing professional development with literally within the space of weeks became a national program, which has opened up enormous opportunities for exposure to new ideas, new webinars, access to talks from various people um, across the country. So that's just a few of the things that we're able to do during uh, COVID-19. One of the areas, I guess, Engineers Australia is, is most well known for is its chartered credential membership. Why is chartered credential membership so important for industry today? Well, a chartered credential means that you have been peer assessed against industry recognised standards. It's a credential that demonstrates that you are competent across 16 critical competencies, which span not only technical, but also management and communication skills. So it's, it indicates that you have an ability to practice engineering independently, i.e. without supervision. So it indicates that you've been assessed as being a really well-rounded professional with skills spanning those three areas. The chartered credential is important in our profession because it helps to demonstrate that we're a high-performing profession. Engineers enjoy a high level of implicit trust within the community and for good reason, but occasionally there are problems, such as a few examples coming from the building sector in recent years. So mm. having a credential like chartered uh, demonstrates that a particular engineer has a commitment to the profession and that you've demonstrated high performance which allows engineering clients and the community to know that engineering work has been conducted to a high standard. For particular individuals, there are benefits as well. There's great benefits for your reputation and your career. It demonstrates your dedication to the profession and your commitment to high professional standards. Sets you apart from engineers who haven't attained that credential. It's also a credential that's recognised internationally. So if you're interested in working overseas or doing overseas work, the the chartered credential is recognised internationally. You've touched on something there, and I think that's quite interesting, that there are some Australian engineers who don't have this credential, how many of them are there and why don't they have this qualification? 
we have around 27,500 chartered engineers in Australia at the moment, but that is growing. There are a large number of engineers who, who don't have a chartered credential. And I think that's historically because it hasn't been a requirement to have it. There hasn't really been a need. There hasn't been a push or a pull force, but we're finding that's changing. We've had unprecedented applications for chartered in uh, 2020. The more conversations I have with people, the more I'm hearing increasingly this is being recognised as something that we need to have. It is better to have it than not have it. My guests today are Jane McMaster, who is the Chief Engineer at Engineers Australia, Alexandra Radulovic, who is a Chartered Engineer, and ACT Young Engineer of the Year for 2020. Alex, you became a Chartered Engineer. What was it that made you decide to get this? My initial motivation was just a checkbox sort of activity for me. Jane sort of went through the importances of it, which I didn't realise that till I was partway through it. I just seemed like the next logical step in my career. I'd found a field that I was passionate about. I'd done my master's and then I decided, yep, next I'll get chartered. I was also motivated as I know it was something that's really highly regarded within my company from what I'd heard around the office. When I initially started the process, I definitely wasn't aware of the, the sort of significance that it has. Well, what was your journey to to where you are now? I mean, you I know that you studied at ANU and then you've obviously started on your career as a, as a chartered engineer. Can you give us an insight into that, I guess? Yes. So, um, yeah, I was inspired by a humanitarian project that I saw in school to study engineering. So I enrolled at ANU. And when I graduated, I didn't really know what kind of engineer I wanted to be. I had a few different majors in material mechanics, environmental systems and renewable energy technology. So I sort of was just applying within that field. In my undergrad, I did do work experience with my company I work for now, Douglas Partners, as an environmental engineer. So I saw an ad for a graduate geotechnical engineer and I thought, I don't know what one is, but I'm going to apply for this and then have a crack. At the time, it was hard to find civil engineers in Canberra. So my boss took a chance on me and said, look, you've got the engineer's mindset. I'll, I'll train you up to be a geotechnical engineer. After about three years, I was like, yep, I, I've fallen in love with my job and decided to do my master's in geotechnical engineering at UNSW. In that time, I'd been made a project manager. And after my master's, I started the process to become chartered. Not long after I was chartered, I was promoted to an associate of the company. I think it was last year, late last year, I was made the geotechnical section manager of our Canberra office. Now I have yeah. to ask, because I've already mentioned it, you were the ACT Young Engineer of the Year for 2020. Why did you get that award? <laughs> I think I got that award for my involvement in Engineers Australia. So I have done a bit with promoting um, young engineers getting chartered because I think it is something really important, especially for a young engineer need to understand the responsibility that engineers have, which you learn during the chartered process. I'm also passionate about improving gender diversity in engineering. So I've, I've done a fair bit of work around that as well. And I've done some community sort of based projects around Canberra and sort of done projects with significant community benefits, like even these solar farms that I do a fair few solar farms in, in rural communities that are just really positively impacted by that work. So I think, I think that's why I was given that award. Let's take a look at how you become a, a chartered engineer with Engineers Australia. Jane, 
there's a few different pathways to this. It's not just the way that Alex has done it, isn't it? Yeah, look, that's right. Um, typically, if you have between five and 14 years experience after graduating from university, you would apply for chartered through the traditional pathway that Alex followed. But there is a, a, a different pathway as well, um, and we call that chartered by interview. So if you're someone who has 15 years or more experience after graduating, it's a slightly more streamlined process. You will need to have held roles that include significant responsibility in leading teams or projects, and you'll need to be a current member or fellow of Engineers Australia. But the chartered via interview process involves providing a detailed CV and the contact details of two referees to verify your qualifications and experience, including those roles and responsibilities. And then um, you'll be asked to provide your continuing professional development log. And then a professional interview will take place, sometimes in face-to-face, if the conditions permit, or via video platform. And it takes about one hour, and that usually involves a broad discussion of your engineering career, during which the chartered assessor will evaluate your experience against the the 16 competencies. So it's just a, a different pathway for very experienced engineers to receive their chartered credential. I'm lucky enough to be talking to two women in engineering, which is always wonderful to see, but it is still a bit of a problem. I saw some stats that came out not too long ago, which showed there is perhaps gender inequality or gender inequity, not the same level of women in engineering. And this seems to be an issue across the entire science sector. But what's some of the work that Engineers Australia is doing to change that? We're quite active in this space, actually. Collectively, we we all need to do more because I'm not sure that the statistics have changed much for the better in the last three decades. Uh, Since I graduated, I was one of four women in the mechanical engineering stream at the University of Sydney in the early 1990s. And I don't think the numbers are much better. So look, we do a range of things. We have a number of initiatives working with uh, both primary school and high school students to open their eyes to the possibilities of engineering. It was interesting that Alex said that that's how she found out about the possibilities of engineering, seeing uh, a project related to humanitarian engineering. And I think we've got to do more in that area as well. Ensure that people understand the wide range of possibilities that engineering can open up for you. It's not just about wearing overalls and working with car gearboxes. It's humanitarian engineering. It's water engineering. It's biomedical. There's such a broad suite of opportunities to which you can apply your engineering skill set. So we do a lot of programs and and partner with schools to to help uh, people understand um, what's involved. Importantly, we don't just target the students. It's also important to target career advisors so that they understand what engineering is, what engineers do and what the opportunities are. And also the other influences of school students, such as families and, and parents. So there's a whole raft of things that we do to do with schools. There's other things that we do in the policy space as well. We work with uh, chief scientists and engineers to work on various programs. There's a number of websites with an amazing uh, range of resources for teachers to use both at university and at school to open students' minds to engineering possibilities. I'm also working with the Engineering for Australia Task Force, which has membership of several university deans and a number of other well-respected STEM advocates to try and understand what the high leverage policy levers are to help try and encourage more people into STEM because it's not just a gender diversity issue. We actually need more engineers and more scientists. And within that, there's another challenge of trying to encourage uh, 
greater gender diversity as well. So look, we're tackling it all on, on many fronts at the moment, but I, I do think it requires a collective effort more broad than just Engineers Australia as well. Jane, you talked about a need for more engineers and Engineers Australia obviously isn't just a membership organisation. It also publishes research and in November 2020, you published a paper on migra- uh, migrants in the engineering profession in Australia. What did you find yes. and, and can you give us a bit of an insight? Yes, I can. Look, the background here is that for many years now, uh, Australia hasn't been able to keep up with the required supply of engineers from domestic graduates only. So for quite a few years, we have relied on skilled migration to meet our engineering uh, requirements. But uh, somewhat alarmingly, there is a very high percentage of our skilled engineering workforce who are either unemployed or underemployed in the engineering profession. Some initial research has been conducted to understand why that is and to understand, get, get greater understanding of what we need to do to change that. And there's a range of issues there, uh, ranging from English as a second language to a perception that there's insufficient uh, understanding of local standards and requirements uh, to a range of other factors that may explain why our migrant engineers are under or unemployed. We may have to leave it there. Jane McMaster, thank you so much for joining me. And Alexandra Radulovic, it was a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks very much, Paul. Appreciate it. You can find out more about our region's energy markets, operations and policy changes, along with stories covering law, technology and workforce changes at energynewsbulletin.net. This podcast was produced by Aspermont Limited, news for business.